Welcome to the Lifeway Student Ministry Podcast. I'm Ben Trueblood alongside Julie Plunk. Hello. John Paul Basham. Yo. We're excited to be with you for another episode. If you haven't left a rating and review, we sure would love for you to do that. It helps other people find the Lifeway Student Ministry Podcast as they search in Apple Podcasts for student ministry stuff. So we would love for you to go do that. Uh, We also would love to hear what you think. So stars and words would be awesome. Uh, We do this podcast in service to you, the student ministry leader. So let us know what you think. Uh, You can also send uh, topics or questions or uh, things that you want us to cover and your thoughts on the podcast at student ministry on Twitter uh, if you are a Twitter person. So uh, if you have been uh, watching the news, then you have heard uh, probably about the storms that have recently come through the Nashville area. So at the original release of this podcast, it, it would have been a week later from when the storms hit. So we had an EF3 tornado uh, touch down, and I think it, uh, it was on the ground for like 50 minutes or something mm-hmm. like that. 52 mm-hmm. miles. 52 miles. Yep. That's where I was. Uh, that's what I was. The 50 was in my head. But 52 miles, and man, it, it has damaged Everywhere. I mean, it's been devastating for communities in Nashville, kind of proper, as well as um, suburbs to the east of Nashville. Um, And so today's topic, uh, we wanted to talk about a couple of different things. One of those, the overall theme of today is going to be how to respond in a time of crisis. And I think we can talk about this in two ways. Um, For us who live here in the Nashville area, this is a big deal to us because crisis is happening in our community and in our in our town like I don't live in the specific place where the tornado hit but it's still part of our community and my church uh, that I go to immediately began reaching out to other churches and other communities saying what can we do and so in these moments there's always this city pride that comes out and like hey we're in this together And I think one of the cool things about that is you kind of lose all of the normal divisive barriers that exist within a community of people, you know, like socioeconomic and political and racial, like all of those things that just kind of separate people tend to come down in moments like this. And that's been neat to see. So there's, as far as the podcast goes, we know that not all of you live in the Nashville area. But I do think some discussion on how uh, churches can respond when there's a crisis in the community is, is worth discussing, as well as connecting that to, like, what do you do when you get the phone call from a parent, hey, our 10th grade daughter, they would probably say a name, but uh, our 10th grade daughter was in a car wreck tonight. Can you come to the hospital? Or... Parent, we just, I just found out my parent has cancer or my parent, this accident happened or whatever crises that happen in student ministry. These things can rock a youth group and a family and an individual. So, how do you respond in those moments of crisis, both as a student pastor to individual families and students that, that, that something happens to? And then, how can a church respond in a time of crisis? So what are some things, uh, John, Paul, Julie, that have kind of stood out to you over the last week 
in regards to the tornado here, the a church responding kind of view towards crisis? I would say for us, we're uh, my church was directly affected by the tornado and um, it hit about four streets from where I live. So it's very close to where we were. I think in these times it's hard because there is overwhelming response to volunteers, which is a really great thing. However, there's a there's a really organized way to do it and there's a lot of people want to help but i think there's a timing and a and a and a way to do it really well i think donations is always like the number one need so even though people aren't always t- able to drive to the spots where the destruction is and maybe not help initially hands on donations is always like the number one thing to do and then automatically working directly with the police department is how our church have has done and it's been really great because they got organized super quickly started busing people and instead of us trying to kind of do our own thing outside of donations and other things of taking care of our church family as a church as a whole they've worked really closely with the local police department so that they can get us where we need to be and they can tell us okay here's the most immediate needs go here first or go here first yeah so that's been really helpful for us. I feel like an opportunity that that comes up every time there's a moment of crisis, like a natural disaster like we're dealing with, or if it's something in the life of a specific family in the church, it always seems to be a reminder of the importance of prayer mm-hmm. and an opportunity to be able to say, remember who's in control no matter what's going on and obviously hear me well in saying that that that's not the to put aside the pain or suffering that's going on in the moment and say oh it's okay god's in control i'm not saying that but this reminder that in the moment of crisis um, and in the midst of all of that a lot of times prayer can be forgotten because of everything that you're going through and trying to sort out what's happening. And that was one of the first things that I saw our our church do as they responded and started coaching our people and what to do uh, that I loved. It was this, hey, number one, pray. Pray. And here's what to pray for. Here's mm-hmm. how to pray. And here's why it's important that that we pray mm-hmm. as the people of God. I think that's really great. Uh, some a couple guys that are in our student life department have been directly hit by this tornado, lost their house, all the things, and even something as simple as one of the the guys couldn't find his wallet, and people started just specifically praying to find something so simple to us, but he needs identification. His yeah. social security card was in there. People started praying specifically for that, and walked to his house and it was literally just like on a board by itself i mean prayer is really powerful i think that's a really great point john paul yeah so uh earl who is one of our senior vice presidents here uh he's kind of a chainsaw in hand show up on site (laughs) and start doing stuff kind of guy uh and he showed me a picture of tanner's wallet just laying out in the open and it really is an answer to prayer. I mean, we're talking about a house where two of the walls and the roof are completely gone mm-hmm. uh, for his bedroom, and stuff's just thrown everywhere. I mean, it's and lo- he had already looked for the wallet. Yeah, he'd already been looking for the wallet. 
It was not out in the open before. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. It's so amazing. Tanner and Ty, uh, serve on our student life camp team, um, lost their house to the tornado, basically woke up to the sound of the tornado and their house being torn apart. Uh, so miraculous even that they aren't injured in any way, have pulled through uh, and are, you know, are now in the process of figuring out, okay, what do we do? What do we do next? Um, John Paul, I think the, I think the prayer thing is a huge part of it that I think we oftentimes either say, either neglect because we just forget about it, or it's like, man, what I'm praying for you. What else can I do? And in moments of crisis, like sometimes all you, that's all you have and that's all you need is to pray. Uh, a couple of the things I wrote down in thinking about this episode in regards to, um, like when you have to go and show up at the hospital, our words out loud in that moment are oftentimes unneeded. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not necessary. They could even distract or cause problems in what's going on, but presence and prayer. When somebody's going through a crisis, being present with them and thinking in your mind, like praying continuously in that moment can bring a strength to that room and to that person and to that family that our words could simply never bring. And so I, I, man, it's a good, it's a good point for you to bring up right out of the gate. Like, hey, in times of crisis, there's one place that we should all go. Mm-hmm. Man, you talking about presence? I don't. This has kind of stuck with me since I've been going through a chronological reading plan this year. Um, and so I don't know if I've already said this on the podcast because I feel like I've said it in forty-five conversations. <laughs> But which I tend to do, I get hung up on a thing. But in reading through Job, um, I had never focused on how Job's friends, although when you talk about when they started speaking, it was definitely a distraction. So <laughs> you almost wish they would have just yeah. kept their mouth shut. shut. Yeah. But they stayed with him for seven days without saying a word. Yeah. They just went and sat. And when Job started talking they started interacting and that's when everything went south (laughs) (laughs) but that just being there Mm. was something that really struck me reading through the word this time yeah it's cool Mm -hmm. it it does say a lot for just presence how a simple phone call or a text message if you live far away but Mm -hmm. in close proximity just going and saying hey like i'm here with you yeah when we were, when I was doing some research trying to prepare for this podcast, I talked with a friend, a mom friend of mine whose um, child has been through recent medical crisis, and I asked her. I said, "What, what's the most helpful thing to you as y'all have experienced this the, about the past four months?" And she said, "She said the presence thing, and of course, she said prayer, and then she said it was people." just automatically doing something instead of asking us because hmm. as a I think for her as a mom like she's already trying to coordinate all the things she's like a lot of people of course reach out asking how to help but I don't have the time and the energy to like coordinate all that it was the people that just 
showed up with food. They just showed up and took care of my kids. I didn't ask them. They didn't reach, like, not that I'm saying don't ask people how you can help, but she was just <laughs> saying a lot of times, especially for people who, there's a humility that comes with receiving a lot of help. And Tanner and Ty, have, I talked with them about that this morning. Like, the, being able to receive a lot of help is not always easy for everyone. So just yeah. stepping in and doing it, being able to recognize, okay, she has three other small children. I know they're going to need chakra. I know they're going to need some playtime with other kids. I'm just going to go over there. And, you know, I think that's a lot as an individual basis as you're working with your teens. That's super helpful. Yeah, I heard. Uh, so the executive pastor um, at the church that I go to in Hendersonville, his name is Bruce Raley. Um, I heard him talking about responding, like how to handle the hospital crisis moment specifically. And one of the things he said that I... I, I was never taught this. I was never shown this. It really stuck out to me. And it kind of goes along with what you were just saying, Julie. And he talked about the importance of listening to doctors and then helping interpret what they're saying for the people in the room. Hmm. So just like I've got, like if it is a, I mean, we've used the word crisis on purpose here, right? So this is more than I broke my arm on the football field and I'm going to the hospital to visit this family. This is, I think, a step further a life altering than that. Situation. Yes. So similar, Julie, to what you were saying in taking something off of the, like they've got so much to think about that organizing meals and how are my kids going to play with other kids and all that. Like, let's just take that away. Similarly, that's, so he said, uh, listening to the doctors and helping them interpret for the family can often be really, really beneficial because their mind is so focused in on every single moment and my kid or my parent. And they'll, he said, oftentimes they'll miss important things or not understand the doctor speak because of their state of mind. So he said, listen well, and then ask questions. Hey, did you, do you have any questions about what the doctor just said? And kind of be that middle person. Again, you're not a doctor. So like know your limits there and have some savvy in that. But helping them understand what the doctors are trying to say and helping them understand decisions that they need to make is something that he talked about was, uh, Bruce talked about, was really valuable in that hospital moment. I've never considered that. Me either, and I'm I'm thinking back to times when the doctors have walked in the room, and I think I've always walked out. Because mm -hmm. it's a private moment, yeah. and you want, yeah, absolutely. So Bruce is in there. He's, He's like, man, <laughs> anything you got to say, you can say He's in front like, of right me. He's like right by the doctor, yeah. like, t just tell me. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. He's really good at That's this. Really I got my cool. clergy card right here. <laughs> yeah, free parking, <laughs> and I can interpret doctor speak. You better validate. So. <laughs> That's right. That's such a good point, though, especially from a, a mom-woman perspective. I feel like, and this may go for y'all too, but our minds are always going with like to-dos and the next thing and who am I going to take care of next and all that. So that, gosh, I even think about little situations. I'm like, gosh, can we apply this like? daily things yeah <laughs> yeah that's just that's a really helpful point yeah. i've never thought about that so i think along with the prayer aspect um you know we oftentimes run prayer and scripture on two rails of the train track and like these are the things that god has given us along with other people and the stuff that we've talked about but these two specifically he's given us as 
communion and relationship and fellowship and strength and power and all of that stuff from him. Psalm chapter 90 is a prayer. Um, And the first two verses, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world from eternity to eternity, you are God. And so like, you know, when your community is experiencing devastation or you personally are experiencing devastation, that moment of, Lord, you have been people's refuge every generation before mine, you're going to continue to be, and from eternity to eternity, you are God. Mm. Like that is, that's a strong, strong affirmation from scripture. Like, okay, we're going to be okay. Yeah. Now, I think in terms of pastorally, you have to know when is the right time to say things like that. I don't think you can walk in and to a a hospital room or into a crisis situation. Like if your community experiences a tornado or earthquake or whatever, and you show up at someone's doorstep who is cleaning out their house, the first thing out of your mouth probably doesn't need to be the first two verses of Psalm 90 that I just read because it's like, well, yes, I know that. And that's helpful to me, but man, I just need you to, have compassion with me right now and empathy is a great word and so I think there's that piece of being pastoral in a crisis situation that's yes I have this bank of scripture that I know will be helpful and I know truth will speak to the heart of the matter but knowing when to say that I think is one of the most important decisions that you know pastorally you could make and then I would say right after pastorally Take pastorally to mean anytime you're ministering to someone, whether you're a pastor or not, treating them, ministering to them in some way. And I think so much of that has to do with listening to their words. Yeah. Because there's a lot of times that people just aren't ready. They know those things. They've heard those things before much of the time. That Maybe that's not the case for everybody in crisis that you're ministering to. Right. But sometimes it's just not the time for mm-hmm. you to say those things. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's our temptation as believers, and we've talked about this before, to rush to it's going to be fine because we feel uh, a burden to say those things to keep the strong Christian face on. Yeah, sure. But I think it's often healthier to sit in the reality of mm-hmm. the pain with them Mm -hmm. until they're ready to move in that next step. And that's just kind of part of grieving what's happening in that, in that crisis. So even just listening to the way that they're talking to help you to to discern Mm -hmm. when you can lead them into those, into those next pieces. And I think sometimes that leading them to get to that place even just happens through praying with them too and asking the Lord to do those things instead of saying, you know this is going to be fine, right? Like yeah. You know God works all things for the good yeah. of us. Yeah. Don't stress out so much. This is going to be okay. Like That's not going to be received well. Mm-hmm. But for you to say, God, you are sovereign. You are mm-hmm. in control. You have, Like you said, you have been the refuge for many generations, and so be that for them right now is a way to to lead their mind and their heart that way but not compel them to get 
get through the grief and get to the faith part. Mm-hmm. Man, you used a phrase just now, get through the grief. And I think sometimes the misunderstanding of walking with someone in crisis is that our job is to get them past grief mm. and into feeling, quote, okay again. Yeah. And it's not. Like, that grief is a real thing. It's a healthy thing, and we're meant to have it. That's right. Even as believers, because it takes us through a process of understanding what's happening. I think uniquely Christian about grief is that it does reveal to us over time God's love, mercy, care, our dependence upon him. All of those things happen, but if we speed through grief, it's not helpful. And I, I think because... Man, I, honestly, like, it's not comfortable to sit with someone in grief, mm-hmm. right? Right. So I think we, I think sometimes we want to speed people through it just to get to a place of like, oh, okay, this isn't awkward anymore. We're talking, and mm-hmm. now, I can, now I can make a difference, quote, difference here. Yeah. I, uh, the phrase, I'm so sorry, I think is one that can bring hope. Mm-hmm. I think it's one that's meaningful. I think... When you first show up on the scene as you kind of diagnose what's happening and depending upon the, the level of relationship that you have with the people that you're working with in crisis, just that simple phrase, I'm so sorry, can be the most powerful words mm-hmm. that you'll ever say. Yeah. And I, I think generally, well, I, I won't say generally, I know that, that I don't say I'm sorry and leave it at that. And as much as I should in my life, like something that I think God is working on me, crisis or not, like for the past season of the of life that I've been in is just saying, I'm sorry, and not trying to explain or excuse or just, yeah, I'm sorry. I bet. Just, (laughs) you know, just in all areas of life, that's something that's kind of fresh for me right now. Uh, you know, I think about my kids, a conversation I had uh, just a couple of days ago before the recording of this podcast where I was uh, like, okay, uh, I messed up here. I'm sorry. This is what I did wrong. Will you forgive me? You know, and those kind of conversations I think are really, really important. Now, again, a forgiveness sorry is different than a empathy sure. sorry, but I think the same principle applies. It's not something we mm. jump to initially. I think it's also really helpful for not only student ministry specific, but as a church to be talking about suffering, not just when someone's suffering. I mean, sermons need to be preached about this and you need to be talking with this to your students because I think there's a there's a preparation and a growth that can happen when these truths are already really embedded in you and that helps helps you when junk has hit the fan. Yeah. You're standing on stronger legs because y'all been talking about that for a long time. So I think it's really helpful to don't just bring up suffering when something bad happens. You need to be talking about this throughout the year where your truth lies and your identity and what does it look like to grieve and how do you, you know, I just think it's really helpful to like have that on the forefront of our minds, even not when we're going through a hard time. I completely agree. Matt Chandler uh, well, The Village did a whole series on suffering, suffering well. And I don't remember what it was called. But uh, between him and one other pastor that I'm, I'm not thinking of his name, I can remember the message. Um, hearing them talk about, and, and Matt in that talks about his journey through um, brain cancer and 
everything that the Lord did in the, in the midst of that and how he learned to suffer well and to not waste that opportunity mm-hmm. to show the glory of God. Man, that I'll never forget. I, I think he was one of the first people that I heard really speak about that well and give a framework for how to suffer. Yeah. And so much of that comes down to we just don't suffer much. The American church just doesn't suffer a whole lot. We deal with health issues, and obviously that was Matt's perspective there. But the idea of suffering, we're, we're so averse to any kind of suffering. We do everything we can to avoid any kind of suffering. Yeah. And as a result, we just we don't have a ton of it, and I think we don't know how to do that well. We don't see the value in it, and we don't see how God is glorified all around us when we do that well. But there's so many examples in Scripture of how the men and women in Scripture suffered well and as a result pushed forward the kingdom of God to everyone around them because of the way that they sat in those things. And, and not just sat in it, but kept pushing through. Yeah those suffering moments. Yeah, I completely agree. There's an education there that is very countercultural. Very. Mm-hmm. Our, I mean, our pastor, Eric Reed at Journey Church, he has uh, experienced a lot of suffering with his son. And for years, it, what feels like about once a year, he does like a suffering series. And mm. it's been so helpful to not only like it's helpful for me to hear that perspective, but also to keep things in my life in perspective, but even the little, everyone suffers in different ways. It's easy to sometimes think like, gosh, I feel like I can't tell anyone about this little thing going in my life because this other person that I know is going through a hard time, but everyone's has different struggles and no matter how big or small, it's really helpful to have that basis. It's mm-hmm. made a huge difference in my life. Definitely. Yeah, I think, too, uh, we don't ask people about things that they're going through because we we don't want to bring up something that is bad, right? Mm. I don't want to bring this back up to them. So, like, if we put it in context of student ministry again, like, you may not, like, so say, let's use the example of a student whose parent gets cancer, you show up at the hospital, you do that initial moment, and but as time goes on, we don't go back to that that student and ask because it's like, okay, how often should I bring up this really traumatic thing in this person's life? Like, I'm just going to love them and I'm going to make it a point to engage them and have conversation with them. But we leave the topic kind of to the side because we don't want to keep reminding. Well, the reality of the crisis moment is that they're reminded already and that they probably wouldn't say but they're wanting someone to ask how they are mm-hmm. specifically. How are you with this? What's going on with this in your life? Mm-hmm. Because there's probably not a lot of people around them that ask them that question. Especially I like how you brought up the time thing, especially if we're talking about a death or even what Nashville's experience, natural disaster. Right now there are a ton of volunteers. There's a ton of like hands on deck. Everyone's, work in but you know in a month or two and even after someone passes and dies like that looks very different and people just yeah kind of not on purpose but you just kind of forget and you get in your mode of so and in a lot of ways that's when the grieving and the hard times really start because they're left alone they're have more time to themselves they're not as much family around and those are the times that we've got to press in and 
ask those questions. Yeah. So something else that kind of jumping off of what we've been talking about that I think is super important in in any any kind of crisis is teaching your students, teaching your people the importance and the responsibility that we have as the church to get involved. Mm. Because there are sometimes so natural disaster is one thing. I mean, Christians, non-Christians, everybody rallies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. There have been a lot of circumstances in the church that I have seen where somebody's really hurting and there's just nobody there. And some of that just comes down to busyness, that we're all doing so much we don't have time to think about the people around us. Some of it comes down to I'm uncomfortable I don't know what to say, so I just don't say anything. You know, I've been wanting to do something for them, but I just haven't known how to engage. And I think it would be wise of us to use these opportunities as we can to talk about the responsibility of the church to step in and be the church. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? What are we called to do? Why, you know, if we're called one body with many parts— then there should be a reflection of that. When, when one of us is hurting, the rest of us should feel that, you know? Yeah. And, and have a in-kind response. But it's something that, I mean, so many of us can, t- can, can tell stories about when we felt like we've been absolutely on an island by ourselves, and people knew about it but just weren't willing to do anything. And that's a, that's a failure by the church. And that is um, probably in some ways a failure by leadership in the church too, not just to say, hey, I know maybe this is uncomfortable. Here's three things we're going to do. Y'all come with me and do it. Let me show you this. Let me model this for you. Let me provide this opportunity for you to go do it. And I think as we teach them how to do it and give them the place to do it and they feel that and experience it, just like we talk about mission trip training and other things like that. You show them what that looks like and feels like, and now they've got something to work from. Okay, last time this happened, we did X, Y, and Z. There's a starting point. There's a baseline for them to work from the next time something like that comes up. Yeah, I think that's a great word. And I think, too, I was uh, at an event recently, and there were um, several senior pastors that were talking that most of them were new in the last couple of years. And it was interesting hearing them all talk about the point that they knew that they had become the pastor of their people by more than title. Mm. And it was like universal. Something happened in a life or in their community or in a family and they showed up and they were present and they prayed and they walked with and they chose to take action. Mm -hmm. And it was in those moments of care that they saw a turn where they, they are the, the pastor of these people rather than the person who preaches on Sunday mornings and to shift from preacher to pastor is an important shift to make. And I think also important to make sure that you're striving to not let your people fall into a place where they just say, oh, that's their job as the pastor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're the shepherds. They're the overseers. And so that's their responsibility because there is a priesthood of the believer. All of us are called to do those things. So I think that's a it's important on 
on both sides. Yeah, model it, and you you become a pastor of your people by being with the people. Uh, so a couple quick things just to recap. Uh, be present. Um, be a listener. Help interpret. Uh, I'm so sorry can go a long way. Pray without ceasing. Just take action. Model it for your people. Um, and uh, if you want to dive into this a little bit more, um, Julie's pastor, Eric Reed, uh, has a podcast called Hopeful Sufferers. And Eric's been on the podcast recently and talked about that. So there's a podcast episode there. Uh, there's also a video on the Student Ministry That Matters YouTube channel on your role in crisis. So if you want to dive further into those topics, there are resources available for you. This has been another episode of the Lifeway Student Ministry Podcast. We'll see you next time.